0: Name is John Lee. I'm the founder and CEO of Fly Nickel Mining Corp. And after over 20 years of experience in mining, the first 10 years as an investor, his second 10 year, second decade is uh, trying out as a mining uh, as a as a, a mining CEO. Uh, over the course of the last 13 years, I've raised over 150 million dollars uh, through the Toronto Stock Exchange and Toronto Ventures Exchange for junior companies. And my specialization is nickel. So uh, I'm probably one of the very few CEOs or that that had that had uh, done uh, several nickel deals in the past decade. Right. Okay. Well,
1: John, um, lovely to meet you. Uh, first time we've spoken, so I um, um, uh, appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to talk about um, Flying Nickel today. Um, you're also CEO of Silver Elephant. Is that right? That's correct. That's that's the parent
0: company of, of Fly Nickel. And Flying Nickel went public only just this time last year and it came out with a bang and about $100 million market cap. At the, at the peak of that nickel,
1: Bull market uh, that went to fifty dollars, as you recall. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, it went a little bit crazy. I think the uh, LME uh, had a little bit to do with that. Um, look, I'm, let's let's kind of focus on the on the nickel um, story today. So, um, how did you first of all? How did you pick the deal up? Give me the backstory. Pick oh, pick the project. Well, Matthews
0: I said uh, I started I started mining investment back in early to early uh, two thousand and uh, started mining. So I've Like every retail junior investors, I've invested in hundreds of companies, traveled 35 countries, and done dozens of uh, project site visits. And my interest has been nickel, and I've researched all the nickel projects in North America, the Duluth Complex, the ones in Yukon, the Manitoba, and Sudbury. And and, uh, Minago has always been my favorite. Unfortunately, the project was not available until early 2021, and that's when we acquired the project for $15 million dollars. And the reason, there's many reasons I like about the project which we can talk about. Uh, it was Silver Elephant that acquired the project in 2021. And then subsequently a year later in 2022, Silver Elephant spun out Minago uh, in a company called Flynickel, of which uh, Flynickel raised $8 million and um, and uh, you know did a number of uh, programs last year.
1: And here's here we are a year later. Well, well, tell me tell me about the deal structure. Obviously, Silver Elephant um, pick, picked it up, and you spun it out into a new vehicle. Um, what, on, what what were the what were the terms um, of that agreement? And you know, what did you know? Who were the beneficiaries in terms of the, your existing shareholders and new shareholders? Right.
0: Well, certainly, Matthew. I mean, first, uh, Silver Elephant acquired the Minago project for fifteen million dollars Canadian in in cash and Silver Elephant shares. And subsequently in 2022, Silver Elephant spun out um Minago into uh Fly Nickel. So today Fly Nickel is owns 100 percent of Minago. And the Fly Nickel shareholders is approximately um it's it's approximately about half half the fly Nickel share half of these shares. So let me backtrack a little bit. Um Fly nickel and Silver Elephant share common shareholders. Uh, 50% of the uh, of the uh, fly Nickel shares are owned by Silver Elephant shareholders. And then the other half of the, approximately the other 40% of the Flynickel shares is owned by an, another company called uh, Oracle Commodity Holding. And it's a bit convoluted, but in essence, Matthew, instead of Silver Elephant keeping that 40% of the shares that it didn't dividend out to uh, Silver Elephant shareholders, it, Silver Elephant transferred that remaining financial shares to another spin out company that focuses on investment.
1: Right. Okay. And, and, and who who are, who are the owners or beneficiaries of, of that company then?
0: The Oracle Commodity Holding is a, is a reporting issuer. It's not yet public. And the, the shareholders of Oracle was spun-out from Silver Elephant, So Silver Elephant shareholders all.
1: Oracle commodity holdings. Right, and how much of all of this do you own?
0: Oh, I've been around the I've been around Silver for thirteen years. I started out my uh, my ownership at around thirty percent, but I'm down to around five percent. I participated in every single round of uh, every single one of the private placement. As you know, Matthew, investment in junior companies all about timing, and we we've, we've been through a decade of uh, consolidation and uh, sort of a a sort of a, a bear run, and and now it looks like finally the light the lights are the light, sort of you know. The quarter has been turned. So right now, I own about approximately five percent across the enterprise.
1: Across the enterprise being silver, elephant, uh, flying nickel, and Oracle. Flying Nickel and Oracle. Gotcha. Understood. Okay. Right. And and then if I just if I if I'm just looking at the flying nickel uh, share register, what does that look like? Is it is it mostly retail or? or there others involved? Right. So, approximately forty percent of the uh, Flynicol shares is
0: owned by Oracle, which was which was spun out from Silver Elephant, and the other sixty percent are Silver Elephant shareholders as well as the seven million dollar IPO round that Flynicol uh, uh, did at, at early twenty twenty two, and uh, it was actually mostly participated by institutions. So, we do have two cornerstone okay. investors. One is Lifestone Minerals, and they are a ASX-listed uh, junior nickel mining company, whom you might be familiar know with, them, yeah. uh, Scott Williamson. Yep. And then the other cornerstone investors is uh, is Sparta, which is an institution, uh, German funds that uh, specializes in mining investments.
1: Got it. Okay. So I was just trying to together, get, get the, the uh, makeup. So
0: Sparta yep. and, and own around 10% partially
1: diluted gotcha okay right we've got a better understanding of what's going what's going on there okay well let, let, let's kind of and, and and uh i'm sure when we talk in the future we can, we can get it get into the weeds a little bit more um with, with that and and how you see that evolving because you'll be presumably raising more money in the future and, and looking to you know change the makeup of 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 that share register but let, let's let's start with the the, the project stuff we, we've had, had a look it looks um quite an interesting um project actually so with regards to your plans for uh, Monaco, um, what what do you intend to do with it? Right, I
0: think, uh, Matthew, just to cap the previous question, there are about 70 million shares outstanding, around uh, almost 70% are owned by and institutions. So it's a very, very tight share structure. Um, And I think to answer your questions about the plan, it's important to sort of backtrack a bit of what the project has been through. (laughs) The project's been through over $40 million in investments and uh, by by various different operators, including almost eighty five thousand meters drilling, a feasibility study. And the project was was fully permitted, which means all the baseline environmental studies have been done. Um, and go, so in terms of sort of uh, uh, in terms of so if you look at this as a hundred meter race to getting a project fully permitting status, we're almost like 95, 95 meters <laughs> there already. And, and what's left up uh, from here to say early 2024 is uh, is, the rectif- is the rectification of the environmental act license, of which uh, we're undergoing right now. And then uh, we a month ago we already signed off the environmental benefit impact benefit agreement with the First Nations. So that is a final binding agreement that governs the terms and conditions of uh, our operation and our relationship with the First Nations throughout the entire life cycle of the mine. And uh, and the last but not least, we're updating the feasibility study uh, to incorporate uh, that PGM angle that uh, that recently came out of the news release, and also updating the various different parameters. And so all so so the permit, the permit, the uh, feasibility study are on track to be delivered in this year, and which means that Minago and Flanico is one of the very few ex- 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 very few projects in Canada that um that is ready potentially to make a construction decision this time next year
1: yeah right now. okay so okay Sign- significantly um advanced you know we, we've looked at the the kind of the drill results etc and, and like i say, it, it looks like quite an interesting project but you wouldn't know it if you if you looked at your share price and in your market cap Obviously, the market hasn't kind of cottoned on to where you're at at the moment so as well as kind of completing the feasibility study and, and obviously in and um advancing the the, the perm- permit um, is what what do you feel you need to do to kind of get people interested or re-engaged with this asset and therefore your company?
0: Yeah, Gordon. Sorry, Matthew. The project, um, like I said, it is one of my favorite projects. You know, I've owned Lynn Lake Shakespeare, Well Green, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a seasoned veteran in the uh, in the uh, in the nickel space. Minago has a very few unique and exceptional attributes. It is an open fit optimized project. And um, at a billion pounds of nickel, uh, and grading at zero point seven four percent nickel. Matthew, zero point seven four percent used to be the average uh, benchmark ten years ago, but today the average mining the average mine grade head grades for nickel sulfide project in Canada is zero point four. Which makes me not go above head uh, and above shoulders amongst our peers, either greenfields or the in production, and further research indicated by. By 2027, 2029, that grid is going to go down to 0.25, which makes Minago's grid three times more. The project is in the Thompson-Nickel Belt, uh, which means has immediate access to power and water and road. So we do envision the capital expenditure would be, would be quite manageable. And last but not least is that the project is uh, in Manitoba that's 99% hydropower. So we are three times greener than uh, than Sudbury and up to 100 times greener than the uh, lateralized in Indonesia and in the Philippines. So you guys, imagine I'm sure your audience is well aware of the difference between lateral and sulfides. They're entirely different animal. And to answer your question, so that is the technical aspects of the project. And and, and Matthew Terry's question is, uh, the project is, uh, we're churning over great volume. We're churning 10 10 million shares uh, in March alone, which is around uh, 15% of the uh, overall shares outstanding. So we have pretty much the complete turnover of, of our float already outside of the institutions and, and, and insiders. I think what happened was uh, it's not really within that control that uh, when the company went IPO in in, in March, nickel was fifty dollars a pound. went from ten to fifty, and uh, we're trading tremendous volume, and uh, subsequently, sort of everybody's on its way de- trending down, and we're no we're no exception. So that created a little bit of void because everybody who wanted to get in, who understood the story, who know the merit of the project, who know the sort of uniqueness of the project, already bought it. And then we ride this trough through this painful duration about a, about of a, a year. And then coupled also that, uh, Matthew, as we mentioned, a lot of the flat nickel shareholders are silver elephant shareholders, and these are silver investors. So they're really not very sort of, you know, in tune with, with the nickel market. So I think that anybody who wants to throw in their towel already, already did, and one of the things we like to do is we're executing our technical programs and probity program very well, is to make sure that we uh, we communicate this uh, this uh, this uh, investment opportunity with the investment community. And that's why I'm very glad to be on the Quest Investor for the first time.
1: Right. So, 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 uh, so I think you've mentioned it once, but just in case people missed it, um, the, the, the scale of the opportunity, you talked about the grades, the, the scale of the opportunity as, as uh, laid out by the 43101, um, 101 is what? It has a resource
0: of 50 million tons grading at 0.74% nickel. So in terms of in-situ nickel metals in the ground is around just over a billion pounds. And of that, three quarters is in the measure indicated category. And a quarter of that
1: is in for category. Matthew. Okay. And and, and, and again, what, what I know it's forty three one on one stage, and you, you're coming. In fact, when is the what is the timing for the feasibility study? You said this year, but when are we looking at
0: feasibility started uh, almost a year ago. So what happened, Matthew? As a question, we expect to have the completion of the feasibility study this year, towards the end of the year. And what happened was towards the okay. end of feasibility study, we did a run of uh, a validation method of vertical drilling by ourselves, since we acquired the project in 2022. And uh, when the assets came out in in August, September, like we found a lot of PGMs, every single drill hole, we had platinum palladium, some up to one gram, which is around, you know, $40, $50 a ton. And that's, that's quite material. It's almost 10 to 15% of the gross gross metal value of the deposit. So I asked our team to look into it. It turned out that the previous guys only asked it for 20% an uh, asset for PGM for 20% of the drill holes, Matthew. So which means, and because they were focusing on nickel back in 2010 when nickel was 20, $20 an hour. So what we're doing is we're taking out representative samples. We're not drilling right now, but we're taking representatives drill core samples from the core shack, selectively assaying around 7,000 meters of, of 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 course, which is an additional 10% of the of, of the drill holes. And then with that, we're very optimistic at coming up with a PGM resource to complement the existing nickel resource to complete our feasibility study to make sure that feasibility does fully reflect the potential of the project.
1: Right. Okay. So there, there, there may be a nice, um, um, by, by, well, just really a nice byproduct, but also um, cr- credits. Um, for you down the line, and the feasibility study will reflect that. And um, with the, I know you raised a little bit of money in, in February, you know, you know, eight hundred fifty nine thousand bucks or so. Um, are you funded to be able to deliver the feasibility study by the end of this year?
0: Right, uh, Matthew. The answer is uh, probably not. Um, the the use of proceeds is um, is going into completion of the assay program, which is going to cost about. Three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, it's supposed if you were to drill for seven thousand meters, would it cost you probably in the vicinity of about uh, you know three million dollars? So I think it's a very good uh, uh, use of proceeds. And, um, and secondly, we didn't want to. I mean, the entire eight hundred thousand dollars was subscribed by institutions and Blackstone Minerals as Barlow came in and existing, existing shareholders. So we could have raised a lot more with them uh, if we wanted to. Sort of. Complete a, a, a 2023 budget, which is not to, to minimize dilution because right now we're trading at, gosh, 24 cents at 70 million shares outstanding, $14 million market cap is less than the price at which we bought for the project. It's is a fraction of the investment I found into the project so far. So I think what we're doing is we're trying to sort of watch our purse and and uh, wait for the assays for the PGM to come out. And initial set already came out a couple of weeks ago. I think the results program well received. And uh, the the stock uh, had a bump already from 13 cents to 20 cents, and then uh, probably towards the June or July timeframe, we'll be looking for maybe another opportunity window to uh, to to another to do another raise, and then that second raise would then enable us to uh, not only complete the feasibility study, but also helps to get to a construction decision. Uh, towards the uh, early part of 2024,
1: right? And what, what's the end game um, for this? Obviously, get to the feasibility study. I mean, I, I mean, just looking through the people on, on the on the team, they don't look like they're mind builders yet. Um, but is your plan to then, you know, flip this thing onto someone else or bring in someone bigger balance sheet in?
0: Well, Matthew, this is standard questions, and you have a standard cookie cutter answer. And the answer is, we we keep our options open. Uh, a lot of that is going to be market driven both in terms of the nickel price and in terms of the equity market so uh but definitely what we're doing is to de-risk the market from 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 a a feasibility study and that's not going to be a desktop study is a consortium of mercator and uh a track uh, look at liquid podium so it's well known mining oriented engineering group and uh we're getting that permit sorted out and uh in terms of the staffing, actually, Matthew, we recruited uh, our chief operating officer was based in Thompson. He worked for Ballet; he's a career ballet person. He used to be Inco, so Minocco was his backyard, and there's a lot of talents to be had in Thompson uh, through the early retirements of a lot of people that Inco and uh, Ballet had let go. And we also have a we also are working with a permanent person by the name of Doug Ramsey, who's got 40 years of experience. oftentimes representing represent the government in Manitoba. And the First Nations, so I think that in terms of what we're doing, the foundation we're laying the foundation for for uh, to lay the path to production construction. So this is not a window dressing exercise, but the question is who's going to sort of lay the bricks and uh, pour the cement. It will really be a, a, like like the factor of, of the uh, options that available to us. Obviously, right now our market cap is, is a it's, it's not conducive. But then as you know these these junior companies can move quite up and down quite quickly not even a year ago we a hundred million dollar market capturing in a dollar forty so that's not to say we cannot go back in so i think eventually if 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 our market cap if opportunity open for us to uh, to do equity and, and debt financing or joint venture partner where maybe a resort to a minority shareholder or you know if, if, if uh if shareholders see a good price of offer that comes along uh, Where Sony will will be there to entertain
1: uh, all options, right? I mean, it's, it, okay, I, I get all options on on, on the table, but it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a cookie cutter answer. We've we've had CEOs come on here and and talk about value destruction if they're, if you're looking to kind of get into production because the cost of capital right now, um, and you know, off off the back of you know a high inflationary environment last year, and that's still you know, still still there apparent uh, this year is you don't want to destroy shareholder value by going and raising expensive capital um and you some sometimes companies aren't best suited to, to do that so you know companies being clear about the fact that they're going to flip this on to someone else is fine to 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 do there's no no problem having that, that conversation you know and it says i'm not going to dilute you but I, what i do need is more time to show the market the value of the, of, of the scale of this thing the grade of grade of this thing. Um, uh, and I think that, um, that the, you know, feasibility study might be that catalyst moment. I, I, you know, so it, it's just some, some companies are sort of clearer than, than others because they're a little bit more confident than others. And, you know, um, that's why I asked that question. Um, but it's, it's clear that you want to kind of keep your, yeah, Matthew, well, you really some very, very, good point. Market cap is not where it needs to be, right?
0: Yeah. I think it was a very good point. One of the, one of the areas I had, I have, that I'd like to sort of bring up is the potential for additional discoveries. We're talking about Thompson Nickel Bell, which is the second largest nickel camp in North America. And still today is in production by Valley. uh owns 197 square kilometers of space with several uh, magnetic anomalies uh, that are very similar to the Minago Nose deposit discovery, where 95% of the drilling had been concentrated on. So I think with a bit of exploration efforts, it's quite conceivable to have multiple multiple nose uh, discoveries where our resource reside, and secondly, Matthew, I've been around for twenty years. I've I've owned several juniors that went under because uh, they had some teething issues with the production, and there there's covenants that came in. Their hedge fund blew up. Like I've had you know over a dozen companies that went to zero, and so I. Uh, you're you're talking to a CEO who's quite experienced, and uh, you know we have some projects so developing in Mongolia, in Bolivia. We had uh, been discussion with different traders. A lot of the a lot of the devils are in the details, uh, Matthew. Depending on how you structure your project financing, what you put up as collateral, returns for your equity and debt financing could spell quite a bit of difference in uh, in uh, in in sort of protecting the assets in the long term, and. Uh, Matthew, I, I I watched for Minago in two thousand since two thousand and nine. So it's a plan that's well conceived, sort of well planned, and uh, certainly not gonna not gonna sort of, you know, let my baby uh, slip just because we were were not so careful in terms of putting together a uh, uh, project financing. Uh, that's not that that sort of uh, you know doesn't have a fallback plan. Honestly, again,
1: it's it's that kind of conundrum that CEOs have, which is, you know, um, especially when you've kind of got, uh, you know, 43-101 here, you, you kind of feel under pressure to kind of advance that through the phases, through the economic study phases. Uh, you know, to the detriment of the growth side, which is the drilling component, which may show this thing has, you know, m- more legs. I say, you know, more discoveries to be made. Um, out there, and that balancing act is, is, is a, is a tough one for sure. Um, can, can I talk about the, um, you've got an NSR on this thing, uh, Extrata, uh, Canada Corp have, have got a NSR of between one and 2%, depending on the price of nickel um three you know over three quarters it, is does that kind of re- reduce your ability to come up with kind of creative ways of of, of funding things going forward or do you think that the nickel market is going to be strong enough and this is an attractive enough asset that you know money should not be a problem
0: yeah Matthew it's good to be talking to an experienced interviewer I just want to bring up the earlier point um we don't have the crystal ball and it's a delicate balance to expand resources versus a feasibility study which is maybe less sexy and generate less appeal because you have to wait for the results. But what we can do though within our control fly nickel is to um is to uh open ourselves to us uh, is to prepare our data room. So we have one terabyte of data, we have a state of the art data room, and then we also are knocking as many doors as we can. So that when we believe that nickel is 20% from the top, which right now I think is 20% on the bottom, it's nowhere near the top. But when we when they feel the top is near, then we we will uh, be able to sort of get as many people uh, onto a create a bit of a competitive attention so that we can get the best deal possible. So that is that's what we need to do. So we're not married to one or no, two sort of sweethearts per se based on you know a prior relationships. Like we're treating everybody equal. So we are right now. We're discussing with over ten strategic players. Majority then come to us and solicit it. I can tell you. In my 20-year mining career, I've never seen anything like it of, of the people that are planning for nickel, needing nickel past 2030. Um, so that that is something that, uh, you know, like I've never seen before. I go back to your question. What's your second part of the question? I had happy to be
1: part of. Well, it was it was really around sort of um you know the fact that you know you've got Extrata Canada co- uh, right. with the yes, between one 2 percent N S R right. Does that restrict right. your ability to kind of cover creative financings going forward, or alternative financings?
0: Right. Matthew, the uh, Glencore, the Glencore. Glencore used to own a majority of the project, so Glencore's and Glencore's N S R aminado is on a very uh, is on a token. Uh, edge of the resource, account for less than 5% of the resource. So that NSR is not is not material. However, Oracle Commodity, which is the other investment spin-out of Silver Elephant, does all 2% of the Minago NSR. Right. But that NSR is not going to be triggered until $15 nickel. So to address that question, Matthew, specifically on the NSR cannibalizing the economics of the project, we deliberately set up the structure so that no NSR is, there's no NSR on Minago on the majority of, 95% of the resource until nickel goes over $15. I,
1: yeah, I, th- I, I, I think I saw in the 43 want it's like um, $13,250 or something like that. Um, it's the number for 2% and anything, anything under that would be a 1% NSR. Is that, does that sound right? No, no, no. Matthew, under $15, zero. Okay, okay.
0: But the, the, the NSR referred to is by Glencore. And Glencore that NSR only applied to very small area of one small area of, of one small claim, of which occupies around the north northwestern edge of the deposit. That that would account for five percent of the nickel resource. So I, I, I wouldn't say that NSR is Anything material
1: okay okay- Inter- interesting, and just just a little bit on the macro because you, you touched upon it there um you know you you've got you know pe- perhaps people as you say who don't maybe some of your the, some of the silver shareholders you know they they read things like oh um l f p batteries are going to dominate nickel this e v market for nickel isn't going to be there or what, else? what are the, what are the other things like oh Indonesia will just t- turn up the volume and just flood the market and you know all of these kind of concerns about the future of nickel H- how do you see the future of nickel
0: well Matthew I think that the proof there's always two sides the glass is always half or half the empty know, who you talk to how you feel it who you ask um that's that's let's, let's look at the industry insiders okay Elon Musk three years ago say minus as much nickel as you can we're gonna give you a giant fat contract I think you mine nickel responsibly and that was Nickel's eight dollars a pound and subsequent nickel went to fifty dollars a pound. Okay, some of this speculative driven, but such such kind of violent move cannot be sold by speculators. So there are definitely people that are accumulating uh, nickel. Then Matthew, if you look at other interesting insiders, BHP coming out of Australia. I mean, Australia is full of nickel, and you don't see a lot. You don't see a lot of Australian outfits coming out of short Canada, and they're they're bidding for NORA, which is four hundred million dollars, and not to spend another three billion dollar. And then it was it was they were out by wine. And then if you look at um, and then if you look at some of the also uh um some of the other nickel mining outfits like Glencore and the Japanese, they're exiting. Uh,
1: min, I think min I think Mincor also um got an offer in a couple of weeks ago as well. It's quite it's got nice in terms of peer analysis.
0: Yeah, I and mean, if you look at and then so if you look at BHP, the mining companies, they're they are going to short by Canadian Nickel projects are five years away from production, and you're looking at you're looking violent nickel move right now is you know ten to fifty now it's back to ten, and then if you look at some of the Indonesian laterite and Philippine laterite, Madagascar laterite producers, um, Vale is getting out of Madagascar, and uh, and uh, Sumitomo is getting out of Philippines, and uh, you know these are multi billion dollar projects that has underperformed consistently, and then the tailings go into the ocean. It has the highest uh, factor of copper emissions. And I think you would be shooting yourself in the foot to be buying nickel from laterite to be going into EV, EV batteries. So I think that's the first. The industry, that institution starts to tell you very loud and clear. And from the intelligence that we get from the battery manufacturers and car manufacturers, they are sourcing nickel for 2030 and after 2030. Because I was very straightforward. I said, the earliest I can nickel is 2028. You said, John, you're the ear- one of the earliest guys that can get into production from the 10 or 20 outfits that we've talked to. So they're, if they're planning out for 2030, 2035, that means that, 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 that there must be a need for nickel. I think on the LFP, Matthew, like I said, I started nickel, nickel is one of my forte. LFP is actually beneficial for nickel. And the reason is this, Matthew, if all the EVs have to use nickel, and then even if the future projection on EVs are any remotely correct, you know, some say forty percent. Some say sixty percent. And we pack it right now at twenty percent. Even just twenty percent. If all the EVs need nickel, nickel production need to double, and that is an impossibility. So the ha- so it's it's actually a, a great ideal mix. You have the LFPs. There are the Volkswagens and the Hondas. You know the sort of the vanilla family family vehicles, and then you have the you have the MNC A eleven the nickel batteries that goes into the Lamborghinis. I think that is a perfect example. And that's exactly how the market is shipping out to be. Um, and you know what, Matthew, the difference between LFV batteries and the nickel battery is in the orders of thousands of dollars. Like even if nickel went to $40, um, you're looking at, uh, a, a battery takes about, you know, up to 60 to a hundred pounds of nickel. So that's an you know, order of two to $3,000. Matthew, if you could buy a Lamborghini, you know, your carbon trip, right? Your door plate just costs you $3,000. So I, I I think that I think that this nickel NSC in 11 standards is already is sort of be standardized for high performance car and 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 uh, and high performance uh, vehicles and it has its own place to stay. And I think it's a, it's a great unique mix up between LFP and and uh, and nickel. Not to mention just one quick point, you know we see the roller of the Hummer and then you have the Cybertrucks and I mean you're gonna need hundreds of pounds of nickel. So I think, if anything, I'm not so concerned about the demand for nickel, but not I'm not that's the the sort of the lack of demand for nickel. I'm actually more worried about the excessive demand for nickel that drives the nickel prices too high, that will accelerate the substitute for nickel, which might come out. You know, it's all way out way out there in the 2030s. And then that is sort of the road masking being shared with us by the. Auto manufacturers,
1: Matthew. Yeah, no, we, we we talk about it on a weekly nickel show, um, but it, it, it's I'm so sort of amazed that how often that keeps sort of coming back and um, people people's view on you know what the uh, the trying of Philippines, uh, Indonesia, and and China could do to the Western supply. But I, I, I agree with you, of course, the kind of clean, clean nickel um, is going to be in high demand. Well, like John, a really nice introduction to the story. Um, I pre- appreciate your thoughts on the macro, but um, uh, I, I like I like what I see in terms of the asset. Um, really, a case of you know down to you now to um, deliver um, into the market and get people you know listening to the story.
0: Well, Matthew, right now you know we're we're seeing fly nickel basically basically baby get thrown into the water amongst all the nickel juniors, and um, you know we welcome. Uh, I'm I'm pretty active in Twitter and the companies you, you are on uh, home size of uh, flynickel.com. The technical report is there. Uh, we have a great team together, and uh, the project is on the cost of making a construction decision. The grades are three times higher than our peers, and uh, you know we uh, we, fight, we invite we uh, invite your audience to do do, do the research and uh, check us out.